Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and a warm welcome, as Bill Arnold would say, to the Bill Arnold Show. However, I am not Bill Arnold today, or any other day, actually, for that matter. I am Peter Kapsner, filling in for Bill, who has a much-deserved vacation, going all the way through the uh, the holiday weekend, so we're glad to see Bill get away. And I suppose, gentlemen, that are in studio right now as part of Guy Talk, our regular Thursday thing, that while the cat is away... The mice uh, should play, although with you guys in studio here, I have a much more vivid picture of maybe the 1984 movie The Gremlins (laughs) Mm. that come in and tear apart the town. So Mm. I've got pastors uh, Tom Brock and and Tom Parrish in studio are waiting for secret agent Justin Jepson to arrive here shortly. Uh, But welcome, gentlemen. It's good to have you guys. Good Good to to be be with you, Peter. Peter. Yeah, indeed. So uh, we've got a lot of questions always from the listeners, as you know, that come into studio during this time. And so I just do want to invite the listeners to text at any point at 877-933. Three two four eight four and uh, producer Rebecca Maxwell. We can probably take some calls today, uh, perhaps as well. Same sure. phone number. All right, I'm, I'm willing. Uh, you're willing. All right, so you're going to call in studio today as well. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. The power panel is here. Can take just about any question. I'd make it especially rough this week. Just the really hard <laughs> questions because I am not in that guest chair uh, right now. So so make them as rough as possible. We'll take anything on relationships to uh, theology to biblical studies questions. Anything along those lines that would be on your mind and heart today. So you know, I was with young people again this last week, fellows, as they got started in their school year. And obviously, university life looks a lot different today than even it did a year ago at this time, and, and specifically because the shape of the world is so fundamentally different with the pandemic and the social unrest. So, you know, think back to when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. What advice would you have for young people heading out into the world today? Don't <laughs> run. <laughs> Stay in your house, draw the shades, wait till the COVID thing stops. And then gingerly put your big toe out the front door. <laughs> well, a lot of it is is just being honest about yourself and about the world. I mean, the world doesn't care that you exist. I know that's hard to believe. Mom and Dad told you how important you are. But the world really doesn't care that you exist. However, if you're going to a Christian college, if you're going to have any Christian background, I would say this from now until the day you die, pursue Jesus. You know, go to church, study the word, but the goal is to pursue him And when you pursue Jesus and desire to become like him, it's amazing what you can deal with in the world. You can deal with heartache, you can deal with sorrow, you can deal with joy, because you ultimately know who has the answer. And so I tell young people all the time, pursue Jesus when you are dating and you're dating that special man or woman. uh, You want to believe her, if at all possible, and start praying with them three minutes a day. And then I've taught lots of couples, just three minutes a day makes a huge difference in their relationship. So that's where I'd start. Hmm. And, you know, I preached at the Marie Sandvig Center this afternoon, wonderful Christian ministry downtown. And I said, what I said today, I'll, I'll repeat here on the air, is that I'm getting to be an old guy. I'm in my 60s. I never remember a time in my life where America has been so desperate. Hmm. All the political craziness, the hatred, the bitterness, the rioting in the streets, you name it. And the only time that comes close is, is the year I went to college back in the 70s. And 
there was so much writing in the street in the early 70s. I went to college wondering, is this nation going to last? And I haven't felt that for many, many years. I think it's worse now than the early 70s. And so what's my advice? <laughs> Don't! <laughs> you know, I, I, I think we've got to, the, the, the truth is we've got to go out into this world. And we're called to be in the world, not of the world. And what, what advice would I give to a college student? Oh, a number one advice is get into a good Christian fellowship group when you're mm-hmm. in college. That's what kept me saved for four years, is my faith was under attack for four years, as it normally is at all colleges. And then I had a Christian fellowship group to go to every single week. So that would be my number one piece of advice. Well, fellowship. we can't speak for every youth, Tom, but I know you, I know me, I was under the same pressure in college and then even in seminary. The seminary I went to was a little bit on the liberal side, and I'm much more conservative. But you know what? It was good for me, mm-hmm. and I think it was good for you. It forced us to discover what do we really believe? Mm-hmm. What are we really willing to give up in this life, and how important is this guy named Jesus? Yeah. And I think when you're 18, 20, 21 years old, what's important to you is finding that right person in life, You know, getting a good job and making a lot of money. But life is short no matter who you are. And the ultimate goals, as I've been with a lot of people when they're on their deathbed, is they really want to know, you know, did their life mean anything? Mm -hmm. They do anything valuable? And what happens when I die? And will Jesus be there? Yeah. I think about over the years how the church sometimes has really had a call to engage really thoroughly and consistently with culture. And other times there's sort of this get out of Dodge, right? There's mm-hmm. this time to, it's time to preserve the faith. I think about John the Baptist and some of those early communities where they really did live in caves alongside yeah. of the Dead Sea. And, and their job, as they saw it, was to preserve the faith for future generations. How, how do you know when it's time for Christians to sort of hunker down a bit and maybe do some preservation work? And how do you know when, no, we've just got to stay right in the forefront of the battle lines? Yeah. I'd say, you know, what you're, what's occurring to me? I went to Grinnell College for a while, pagan school, anti-Christian school, very intellectual and very anti-Christian. We had fellowship in my dorm room five times a week at Grinnell. We had a little Christian fellowship group, and we fought for our faith, and, and you had to. Then I transferred to Bethel University, Christian College. And I came came to Bethel. It was like going from hell to heaven. Wonderful mm. Bible teaching. I loved all this. But then I noticed there were lots of students that just didn't like having to be into the Christian atmosphere. I thought, are you, are you crazy? Go to Grinnell College. And, and what I learned, I was closer to God at Grinnell than I was at Bethel. Mm. And, and so, you know, the question, you know, you, you ask about, is it time to get into a cave or go out in the culture? I think if you if you if your student or your child is super vulnerable to the world, it might be good to put them in a cave for four years. Mm. But if they're not, it might be good to send them to some secular school and and let them grow by fighting. Mm. You know, mm. well, it's. Justin Jefferson. We do. Secret Welcome. agent Justin Jefferson has Good arrived on the scene. Uh, Justin, microphone is hot. Welcome into studio here. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. I had to start looking the part. That's why I came with my face mask on. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> You're killing now, Parrish, anything about this, about, you know, well, between hunkering down and engaging? I think a lot of it, I think, has to do with the individual. Some people are, are, are going to engage. They're just that kind of people. Other people, though, are going to sit back. And I've always advised people, there's that element in both of us, in, in all of us. I mean, there are even my wife, who is much more timid about, you know, being public and speaking out than I am, uh, still has that need once in a while to speak out publicly. And she has as a principal in Minneapolis. Uh, she spoke out for Jesus in some very difficult circumstances, but that wasn't her first choice. Her first choice was do the work behind the scenes, equip the teachers, support them. 
you know, my inclination is to be up front and to really go after them and try to speak the truth. But you know what? I'm also a writer. And I found I have to put a lot of things on paper to preserve, not only for my generation, but for hopefully the generations to come. So I think it's a both and. It just depends on, at that moment, where you're being pushed and driven to. Mm, great start of the show here, gentlemen. We'll uh, let Justin get settled. Let's take a short break. If you're listening now, we'd love to take your questions. I know we got one from a listener coming up right after the break. But please uh, take the time to text into the studio at 877-933-2484 or give us a shout at the same number. We'll be back in just a few. Welcome back to the show. This is Guy Talk for Thursday afternoon. The cat is away, but the mice are still playing here. I'm Peter Kapser and the host chair for the day. We've got pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish in studio, as well as Justin Jepson joining us officially now. Yay! Thanks for getting here, Justin. Appreciate hey. having you in studio. Thanks for still letting me in the door. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah, I had a question come up in class, too, that I would love for you guys to address a bit. And one of the students asked the question, how do you know when you should try to stick with a friendship? Versus maybe it's time to walk away from a friendship. How, how, what, what can you discern? How would you know when maybe it's time to bail versus stick it out? That's a really good question. I, I've had a, a couple of those throughout my life. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, for a relationship to work, it has to be reciprocal, right? And so I think if, if I'm noticing a pattern and a trend where it's becoming one-sided and I'm the only one initiating, I'm the only one, I'm, I'm the one pouring out, I'm the one you know, um, giving of time. I'm the one making sacrifices. Um, you know, and I remember specifically the first time this happened, this is back like in high school, right? So when things got real, you know, dramatic and whatever, and, and having a conversation about it. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, I wouldn't just passively drift away, have an active conversation and just say, Hey, I really appreciated our friendship. I feel like things have changed. Um, and to be able to, and I think that conversation for me, showed me and gave me clarity where if this person really wants to stay and have, have a friendship, they're going to reciprocate and say, oh, I didn't realize that that was happening, you know, and they're, and right, right, right there, then there's that, that reciprocity and you're having that conversation and you're able to go somewhere. But if they're really kind of like, well, no, I don't really see what you're talking about. Like, okay. Then it, it might just be time to allow that break to happen. And so I know that's difficult and messy, but I think it's have the, have the conversation and, and I think the clarity will come from there. Well, there's a Bible verse that says, bad companions ruin good character. And I think if if a friendship is causing you to, you know, there's a certain person you hang out with and you normally drink too much or you gossip too much with that person, um, maybe you have a conversation about that. But if they're not on the same planet, if being around a certain person causes you to sin, I think you got to find some other friend politely say, you know, I'm moving on here. However, you didn't need to do it. I mean, I, I here's a sermon illustration. Back in the days of horse and buggy, <laughs> a man wanted to hire a coachman. Three applicants came. He said, "Sir, to the first applicant, how close can you drive this coach to the edge of the cliff and not go over?" And he said, "Oh, I think I could get within a yard." Applicant number two, "Oh, I think I could get within a foot." Applicant three said. I would stay as far away from the edge of that cliff as possible. The third guy got the job. 
And I think we have to do that with with friends, with TV shows, with uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, the the Bible says flee immorality. And if people are causing you uh, to become immoral, choose your friends, change your friends. I think the biggest challenge to the church with youth and Christian colleges is that we don't do a good job helping Christian youth identify their character, identify who they belong to, identify the reason they're here. And as a result, if you don't know that you're made in the image of God, if you don't know that you're an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to get defined by your peers. You know, that that good-looking guy or gal is going to begin to define you, and they're going to shape you. The problem is, at 18, 19, and 20 years old, there are very, very, very few youth that are really in it for the other person. Mm-hmm. We're usually in it for ourselves. What can I get out of this relationship? Mm-hmm. What's it going to do for me? And when it doesn't work anymore, I'll just go on to something else. And that's where I find a lot of guilt in people and a lot of shame. I've been amazed at ministry over the years. How many people have come to me, 40, 50, and 60 years old, and said, I want to talk to you about when I was in high school or when I was in college and the shameful things I did. Why did I do those? Well, for a very simple reason. They didn't have an identity. Now look at Jesus. Did Jesus know his identity? Yeah, he knew his identity. And the Pharisees couldn't figure it out because how could he hang out with those tax collectors and sinners? Because they stayed away. Because they didn't know their real identity. They thought they did. But when you know who you are in Christ, you can deal with people uh, on a righteous level. You know when to back off and when to step in. And and I have a friend who periodically says to me, Tom, remember who you are and whose you are. Yes. Mm Yes. And that that is a great line. Good one. Yeah, and I think there's there's an old adage there, you know, of show me you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? Yeah. Now that's what you're getting at. Yeah. And I think if if you look at who you're hanging out with now, you have a good idea of who you're becoming in the next Now, s- to few balance, years. and that's true. 100% true. We balance that with Jesus was a friend of sinners. Absolutely. So, so that that's why yeah. when you look at the 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 goal in, in terms of being on the same page, I look back to this friend of mine who was my best friend growing up. But I started really taking my relationship with the Lord serious, and he was more seriously, and he was becoming more casual. It doesn't mean we can't be friends, mm-hmm. but I just noticed we were starting to go, we we're starting to operate on two different wavelengths in terms of the decisions we make, the the language we were using, how we we're spending our time, and and we had a conversation about that, and we eventually did drift. We yeah. were still friends, but my closest friends were the ones that mm-hmm. truly had had Christ as the center. So yes, yeah. for sure. That doesn't mean though, but Jesus still had his inner three. Sure he did. Right. That's I right. mean, so yeah, yeah, he absolutely, absolutely was a friend of sinners, yes. but you also need friends that you can be on mission with together. Right. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Great answers, fellas. This is way more fun being over here in this chair, listening to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Rebecca, I know Wingman Terry has uh, texted in with a question. We'd love to hear what that is. Yes. We always love Terry's questions and you can submit yours as well at 877-933-2484. Terry's asking in observation and understanding of a biblical passage, Luke twenty two thirty five through 38. So um, you could turn there. <laughs> it is appropriate. Is it appropriate for a modern day Christian to own a firearm for self-defense? Well, I can speak to that one. I'm Mr. NRA. And I'll tell you why. Look at the Bible for a moment. On the one hand, we are supposed to, um, you know, love our enemies, serve Jesus and serve others. But also when Nehemiah was building the wall, he talked about standing in the gap. And I think there's a difference between owning firearms or whatever in order to just go out and harm people as to use it for protecting people. Now, think about that again. Did we ask that question in World War II? Should our army go without weapons to fight the Germans and the Japanese? 
No, we didn't even think of that. The local church. There were, I mean, I go back and I read Time magazine from that time period. There's not a single message on there that says, no, no, leave your gun at home. Don't you dare take a hand grenade, you know, and go over there and try to win them all for the Lord. Now, it's wonderful to win people for the Lord, but there are some wicked people. There are some bad things out there. And I learned a long time ago when I was a kid uh, about this, that if you don't stand up for what's right and protect others, uh, you can get overrun. And I think we, we give people in Christianity in America a wrong understanding. We seem to think like, Rebecca. If you love Jesus, he's always going to protect you. You don't have to worry, Rebecca. If bad things come, when that tsunami comes, it'll split like, you know, the wall did for Moses, and you'll be exempt. We give this impression when around the world, Christians die every day for their faith. Kids are kidnapped. Women are raped. People are brutally killed. And I think it's what the Lord calls you to. Um, I know I, I don't own an arsenal like some people would say, you know, but I do believe I mean, I love to hunt, but I think it comes down to this. Um, don't break into my house and try to harm my family, because I will tell you Jesus loves you after I stop you from breaking in and trying to harm my family. But we're not going to allow that to happen and see my family destroyed and others around me, and I stand there and do nothing. What do you do, Tom, with uh, Peter cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says, Peter, put back your sword. Yes. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. What do you do with that? Well, remember, he also said earlier, do you have any swords? Mm-hmm. Remember, he brought that up. Mm-hmm. So it's a both and. And he said, get yeah. one. And he, Jesus said, get he one. He said, get one. Yeah. There's a both and here. And I think yeah. the both and is what we're struggling with. Yeah. If I take my so-called weapons and I use them harmfully against others or for my own benefit, that's evil. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be doing that. I should not be the aggressor. Remember, the, the reformers talked about a just and an unjust war. Mm-hmm. A just war is when you are defending people. An unjust war is when you're the aggressor. And I think that's what we have to look at. If I become the aggressor to my neighbor to harm them with whatever I have, no good. But if I stand for what's true and righteous, and here's the other thing. Uh, I grew up with a home builder. I had more weapons growing up than you imagine. I mean, I had had hand saws. I had hammers. I had sledgehammers. And folks, I don't want you to come after me with one of those either. All of them can be bad in the wrong hands. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I would also add Romans 13. The government is the Lord's servant. It does not bear the sword in vain. And the government is given a sword by God to keep order in society. And aren't there Christians in government as well as There are, and they're Christian. And and when the soldiers came up to John the Baptist and said, and what must we do? John the Baptist did not say stop being soldiers. He just said don't jip people, basically. So I think you can be a Christian soldier. I think you can be a Christian uh, policeman. Um, uh, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, and I think this is something that, you know, to answer this specific question of this listener, I can't be overly dogmatic about it. Right. I think there is this both and, this either or. I think you know, this goes into, I think, the, to a bit that the Christian liberties of, of your specific, you know, biblical conviction. Paul sure. says, all things are lawful for me, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be enslaved by anything. So I think it is it is it right to defend yourself, to defend your family? Absolutely. If someone breaks into my house... I mean, I've, I don't know how many times, and I don't know if this is a, I'm not trying to overly stereotype, you know, the way a male's brain works, but I don't know how many times I've laid awake at night. Okay, someone broke in right now. This is what I, you know, in a plan, you know, like, and you kind of think through those things. And I think absolutely I'm going to defend my wife and my kids, um, you know, but I think is it to say, is it wrong or is it sinful to have a gun or to not have a gun? No, I don't think we can say that anyway. You know, it's dogmatic. Well, guns are a tool. They're right. neutral. And, and if you, you know. do have one, make sure you know how to use it. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, you're gonna, you can do more harm than good.
Yeah. We talk in my class sometimes uh, when we get into the context, uh, context and concept of war uh, is, is what does it mean to be defending a temporary country uh, of which you are a citizen from the perspective of the only eternal kingdom of God? What, what would you guys do with that question? You're supposed to back clean up <laughs> as the fourth no. voice. In the, I'm just no. in the host chair today. Yeah. <laughs> Look out not only for your own interests, but also the interest of others. Take mm-hmm. care of your neighbor. You know, uh, the, the Samaritan on the road with the, the man who was robbed. There's a balance between all of this that we have a responsibility to those around us mm-hmm. to feed them, to care for them, yeah. to protect them, to make sure keeper. they have what they need and to be safe. I mean, one of the worst things I see are these children. Did you read in Ohio where the uh, sheriff's department yes. just, just found uh, 25 kids, yeah. you know, that were being used in trafficking. Now, as a Christian, if I knew there were 25 kids in there, and those guys in there had weapons, and they were holding those kids and trafficking them. Should I simply go preach to them? Mm-hmm. No, I'm going in with some weapons and mm-hmm. some other people to try mm-hmm. to free those kids. Mm-hmm. Because I know mm-hmm. those people have no good intent. Uh, to What if I just walked by? What if I just said, I hope somebody takes care of that? You know, you're back to the story of the Good Samaritan, but in never context. And with kids, there's no question. I would do everything I could to save them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say this. I think there are sincere Christians who are pacifists, oh, and sure. the way they understand, turn the other cheek, do not defend you, you know, yourself. Uh, and I think there are sincere Christians. I used to hold a view that was like that, and I came around to see a different view. But I, I, I you know, I, this is not super easy. Luther had an interesting view. I'm not sure that I agree with this, but he said, I don't defend myself, but I defend others. So if somebody comes heaping abuse on him... I think, if I understood the quote right, he'd be kind of quiet. Right. But if they did it to someone else, he'd speak up for the the underdog. And right. you know, so yeah. And I think at the you know this idea of the kingdom aspect, right? Of as kingdom citizens, we we know that ultimately the that the balance, the scales of justice, are in God's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, and that you know Jesus, even though he suffered unjustly, he continued himself to him who judges justly. Yep. And so and look how we, Paul used the government of Rome to protect mm-hmm. himself. Right. I appeal to Caesar. to Caesar. You can't sure. you can't right. hit me. I appeal to Caesar. So we can use the police. Um I have friends who who've asked me this question, Peter, and really sincere uh pacifists. And my first response to them is do you have locks on your house? Do you use them? Well, why are you trying to keep people out? Shouldn't you just be opening your house to anybody that wants to come in? Well, that's different. And I question, from a logical point of view, where does that become different? In the sense you're trying to stop people, on the one hand, from abusing your home or your family by coming in when they shouldn't. And I'm not saying I never want to shoot anybody. I never want to harm anybody. That's never my goal. But on the other hand, let's be realistic. There are many people out there that in desperate times do desperate things. And there are wicked people out there that will do things to harm others. And somehow we have to stand up to that in one way or another. And if people say we shouldn't have borders... I think you could ask that person, okay, do you lock your house? Yes. Same thing. Of course. Great start to the show here, Phil. We're already halfway through uh, the, this time. We'd love to hear from you if you've got questions. I know I've got another listener question to deal with right after the break here, but do please text us at 877-933-2484. And gentlemen, you know, I know that uh, we have allegiance to the kingdom of God. I've also stood on those beaches yep. of Normandy and wept for the people that lost their lives. So there, yep. there sort of is a both and in this conversation, isn't there? Absolutely. There is. Yeah, great stuff. We'll take a short break here. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll have uh, some more questions from you as the listeners for the power panel of Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Secret Agent Justin Jepson.
It's about 31 minutes past the top of the hour, and we're in studio here. Bill Arnold is not. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day with Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. And Justin Jepson, uh, I was reminded at the break that you actually have pastoral credentials as well. That's yes, that's true. So, are mm-hmm. we going to go with secret agent, or are we going to go with pastor, or pastor secret agent? I mean, some people Ooh. have a lot of really fancy letters. After I like their the name. combo. The hybrid is kind of fun. All right, all right. secret so agent, pastor. I want to be a secret agent. <laughs> well, there's going to be some rituals and initiation. Secret agent, uh, pastor man. I want to nice do the Martin. <laughs> I love it. Well, we got a question from a listener, you guys, and it's about prayer. Some things we've talked about before, but with a slightly different angle here. I'll read it for you. Well, will you have your panel of experts? Can you uh, can you have them talk about prayer? I was reading in Matthew, and I'm a little confused about how to pray. It says something about not babbling and adding a bunch of extra words. In general, sometimes I wonder about prayer at all, because God already has a plan, right? And already knows what's in my heart. I recently had a health scare and wasn't quite sure what I should ask God. If your experts could just talk about prayer in general, it might be helpful. I'm hearing two things in this, fellas, in terms of even the words that we use and what does it mean mm-hmm. to not babble, perhaps. But even that deeper question, well, if God already has a plan, right, yeah. and God is uh, completely omnipotent, meaning that plan is going to happen, then what role does prayer even have? Yeah. I'll do the easy part <laughs> about babbling. Jesus says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles who think they will be heard Heard. from their many words. For God himself knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, that simply means you just don't babble on and on and on and think if you say the same phrase 50 times, it's going to get through. Uh, But the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. So we Mm -hmm. are to continually be in prayer. I pray on and off all day long, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, that's good. But to sit and say... You know, certain words over and over and over, like there's a magic incantation that's going to get you. No. Mm-hmm. There are five of us in the studio right now. Four of us are married, right? Does your spouse know when you're babbling? When, you, when sure. you're at home, do they know when you're saying something that's not this I, foolish? Or I, going never, to... I never babble. Yeah, Don't no, just... no. After 9 o'clock, I make no sense <laughs> well, at all. Well, that's, that's, that's really good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Oftentimes, your spouse knows exactly what you need, but they still like to hear it from your mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's called a relationship. Mm-hmm. And where we keep losing in Christianity is there's nothing formal about prayer. You know, uh, every time I'm in a church and I hear the pastor say, and now we'll pray as the Lord taught us to pray. Well, the Lord didn't teach us the Lord's prayer as the only prayer to pray. He gave us a model. But the model is built in a relationship. Our Father, who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we forget that. And so without the relationship, prayer doesn't mean a whole lot. And you can go over and you can chant and you can do all that stuff, the mantras, which we know back in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s with the uh, Maharaja and all those. No good. But the relationship is the key. And, you know, I, when I was a kid, I was taught before I go to bed, now I leave me down to sleep, before I learn something about our oh. Father, right in heaven, I'm God bless, Mommy, Dad, with answer, I'm me all our answer. And I said the exact same thing every night. And then when I got into junior high school, I started talking to God on and off in my head all day long. Yes. And I went from having these computer prayers that I meant, but not much, to having more of a relationship with God. I think that's kind of what is being taught. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that uh, you guys are right on in terms of the relationship piece and God knowing what we need before, right? And that's very clear. And I think if there's the example here of why to pray, I mean, look at the life of Jesus. If there was anyone, I mean, there's a sense in which Jesus was the only person who ever lived who didn't need to pray but did in order to teach those who do need to pray but don't know how to pray. And so that idea when Jesus said, pray then like this, that's in the present imperative. He wasn't giving us uh, a suggestion. He was giving us a command 
but the beautiful thing is, is that, uh, and I say, I've, I've, I've been saying it this way, that if we can learn to pray like Jesus prayed, we'll have the power to live as Jesus lived. And yet, the really the the best biblical definition of prayer outside of Scripture that I've heard comes from a, a actually I think it's old Southern Baptist pastor theologian Alvin Reed said prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. So if, for this person who's saying I don't know what to ask, that's actually the wrong question. the 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 best question to ask in prayer is Who is God? Oh sure. And and this idea is and and when I say when I don't know what words to use. Um, I would I would really advise this listener, and what's completely changed my life is taking this pattern of the Lord's Prayer and overlaying it across Scripture as a paradigm of knowing how to pray God's words back to Him. Sure. And so, and the first aspect of the Lord's Prayer, it's it's reverence. It's looking upward. It's not about my needs and my requests. That's important. That's in there, but it's said in the proper context of being reminded of who I'm actually getting to converse with and talk mm-hmm. with, and praying God's word back to Him is a reminder that in prayer, I'm not the, I'm not the initiator, I'm the responder. So right. when I pray God's word back to him, I'm actually entering into a conversation that he's already initiated with me. Five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had some major cancer that I finally had to have a surgery. Uh, I talked to the Lord a lot. Now, I'm like Tom. I talk to the Lord all the time. But, you know, I really began to focus in on that cancer and about, am I going to live or am I going to die? What's the future hold? What about my wife? What about my kids? And it was during those times of praying that new thoughts would start to come into my head. Now, did I hear a voice? No, I didn't hear a voice. But new thoughts would come in about not only my wife and family, but how am I going to help the church deal with this? Because I was a pastor at the time. How am I going to do this or that? Have you thought about your neighbor who had cancer last year? How are you responding to them? And suddenly I found myself reaching out to people, mm-hmm. uh, picking up the phone and calling them and going across the street to a, a neighbor whose husband had just died where I'm not sure I would have done that mm-hmm. without being forced to look at my own fears and the fact that I may be very term- mortal or terminal and asking the Lord, what do you want to do? And at first mm-hmm. it was very much, Lord, I want to be healed. I'd rather not go through the surgery. Well, I went through all of that. Bottom line is I learned a great deal out of that, and I learned who I had to trust no matter what happened. Yep. So what I'm hearing there, and that's that gets to the p- point of prayer. You know, we ought to think of prayer as what I want to change around me. But the focus of prayer is what God wants to change within me, yeah. within us, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think prayer is not just us talking to God, because then that makes us one big mouth and God one big ear. <laughs> prayer is just as much listening yeah. to God, and that, that, that's what helps cultivate the intimacy with Him. And, you know, I, had, I needed to drive for two hours recently, and I just purposely turned the radio off for the period and just talk to God. Yeah. And now that whole time I wasn't talking, but on and off I wasn't. I ended up praying about stuff I didn't think I'd end up praying about. So sometimes it's just, you, you know, with all the iPhones and the TV sets and all the Netflix and all this stuff coming in, we got to turn the world off, turn your phone off, turn your radio off, and just talk to God. So, so Tom, the fact that your iPhone's not working right yes. now, do you think that's God telling you, hey, Tom? I, actually, we need I, to, seriously, we, my iPhone broke today. We need to talk. And I've wondered, is this to- God talking to me? You're too doggone dependent on that thing. So, and you guys were talking about the Lord's Prayer a little bit in this and and understanding that we do want to stay away from rote and and empty ritual. At the same time, I remember growing up in the Catholic Church and and we would say the Lord's Prayer in Mm -hmm. every service that we did. Mm -hmm. And and there was something meaningful and powerful about the actual words of the Lord's Prayer as well. I would keep doing both. Yeah. So how do we Mm -hmm. understand the difference between these are not magic words and yet there's somehow some power in these words as well? You bet there are. One of the neatest things I saw was in a church setting where the pastor had preached a sermon. And I don't know what was next. And then they were going to say the Lord's Prayer. He said, we're going to do a little different today. He said, I'm going to 
recite the verse of the Lord's Prayer. And when I get done reciting, like, Our Father who art in heaven, I'm just going to open it up to you, the congregation. And you can either in your heart or out loud say, How wonderful you are, Father. Mm -hmm. How much I believe in you. Mm. You know, uh, hallowed be thy name. How are you going to hallow the Lord's name? And it took about 15 minutes to do that. Much more effective than the sermon. It's a very powerful thing to do. And my question is, why don't we do that more often? Yeah, and then Mm -hmm. do it individually. Yes. Like, you, you do this. Our God, I thank you I'm part of the church. I'm not a lone ranger. Thank mm-hmm. you for my Christian brothers. Father, God, thank you. I can call yes. you the God of the yes. universe, my Father, who art in heaven. God, thank you. You are there. You're up there. You know, uh, Hallowed be thy name. God, help me not swear today. Help me, you know, you just slowly pray right. the Lord's Prayer. We can do that individually. Right. Yeah. We don't, I don't do that enough, but I should. Yeah, I, I too grew up in the same Catholic tradition. I remember literally clenching my cross necklace and reciting the Lord's Prayer mm. over and over and over again. Like it was a mantra, like I was supposed to do it to please God. And then, so I grew up thinking, Jesus said, this is what you should pray. Yeah. And I didn't get the how, right? And it, it is a pattern. It is a rhythm. And I think, you know, and that's why I think, you know, for me, when you think our Father um, who is in heaven, I'll ask the question when I'm reading, whenever I'm reading scripture, right? I, I like to think, we often think of, reading the Bible and then pray or pray and read the Bible. I, I like, we need to pray, read the Bible. So in other words, you know, I, if I'm opening up the Psalms, I'm opening up Romans, whatever else I'm asking, how does this text reveal to me what God's like? Cause that's the first yeah. focus of the Lord's prayer. So our father who's in heaven, holy is our name. I will reverence him that he's our father, that he's near, that he's holy, that he's completely separate and other. And then all the other beautiful ways scripture reveals your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. It is, it is in heaven. Well, if I'm asking God's kingdom to come, I'm really saying my kingdom must go. I need to bow my knee. What mm-hmm. do I need to surrender mm-hmm. to the Lord today to bring myself back into his will and, and, and alignment with his kingdom and his purposes? And then give us this day our daily bread. I mean, this is what I love about Jesus. He's, he, he's so brilliant, right? In the sense of he knows all the prayer requests. If you were to tally them all up, they're either underneath, uh, fall, can underneath, fall underneath the categories of resources. Give us this day our daily bread. Or relationships, right. forgive us those, you know, our, forgive us our sins, and as we forgive those who trespass against us. So, yeah, who, what do I need to pray about today? Resources. Mm-hmm. Who do I need to pray for today? Relationships, and then for that, and then lead us not in temptation. I like the modern day, but deliver us from email. But, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's, for me. that's where. But that idea is that there's a spiritual battle before us, and 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 that we prayer makes us really battle ready to engage in with the true enemy and to walk in the victory that Christ provides. If I can, if I can make a plea, though, I'm I'm talking like a traditional Lutheran, but it is true. <laughs> there's something wonderful about praying the Lord's Prayer every week with the family of God. Mm-hmm. There's, some, there's something wonderful with saying the Apostles' Creed every week with the family of God. And you know why? There are a lot of liberal pastors out there that never preach on the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But right. if, you, if you're in a church where they're doing the Apostles' Creed, at least you're going to hear about the Trinity in the Creed. And mm-hmm. I remember one of my professors at seminary basically saying, if the, pa- if the pastor does not have the good sense to preach the gospel, at least they'll get it out of the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed and the Lord's Prayer. They'll get it that way. But remember the story Jesus told about the uh, father that went to his son and said, son, go out in the field and work. And the son says, yes, father, I'll go out and work. And then he doesn't all day. And he goes to his other son and goes out and work. He says, no, I won't. And then he changes his mind and goes and work. Who did the Lord honor? The one who went out and did it. Mm-hmm. Our problem in the church is we think we're done when we walk out of the worship service. We pray the Lord's Prayer where I'm supposed to go out now and I'm for, to forgive my enemies. Mm-hmm. I'm to forgive those who have hurt me. Well, how do I do that? Well, do I just say it in the church or do I actually call them up on the phone? Or do I have a conversation with them? There's the problem. We take these things and we make 
forgive me, this is going to sound harsh, rituals out of them instead mm-hmm. of verbs. They're yeah. action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we pray that, it means we're going to go do it. Yeah. And if we don't go do it, then we really haven't prayed it. Mm-hmm. And we got a couple minutes for the break here, fellas. It's just the second part of this question that the listener has to you that I think is a really difficult part of the question, saying that uh, he wonders about prayer at all because God already has a plan and already knows what's in his heart. And he recently had a health scare, wasn't quite even sure what to ask. And I don't, maybe in Parish, maybe you could take that. You talked a little bit about your journey with cancer. I'd imagine that this came up in, in, in your prayer time as well. Well, my, my first inclination was to be very human. <laughs> you know, save me, Lord. Don't let me die. I've got wife and kids and grandkids. But it was in the time of prayer, in the length of prayer, because this went on for several months before all of this was dealt with and I had the surgery. It forced me to begin to think about other things. And when I would pray and say, Lord, you know everything, uh, I would often hear back, but you don't, Tom. And he would bring things to my mind, people to pray for, people to contact, people from high school that I hadn't talked to in 50 years. I found myself picking up the phone of all things and calling them and saying, I was just thinking about you. And you can't, well, yes, you can. You guys have had this happen, and Rebecca, you've had it happen. So many times people would say, wow, I can't believe you called today. This is, this is so timely. Where did, where did, how did this happen? And I think that's part of it for me. I learned that I'm not going to change God's mind. You know, I'm not the Lord himself, but I want to have his mind. And I don't often have his mind, even when I pray about my own sickness. And so I want his mind so that whether I live or die, I'm doing what he wants me to do until that last breath. It is absolutely true. God knows everything from the beginning. Oh, yeah. But you got, who is it that the king that was told you're going to die, and then he, the prophet came, and oh, yeah. and he pleaded, and the prophet Hezekiah, said, Hezekiah, yeah. Yeah. God, God's going to give 15 you 15 more years. more years now. Right. So, you know, uh, I, I, there's, I, you can't use the fact that God knows the future to keep you from praying, because we're human, and, and, and if you're a believer, you have to pray. I mean, what else can you do? Just sit there, you know? So well, often, Don't we often talk about... I had a woman come out of church one Sunday and say, where is this peace of God that passes all understanding? She said, I'm going to church all my life, and I don't have this peace. And I was a young pastor, and I really didn't know, so I had to begin to look. And I began to realize, we would like it just to show up. We would like to wake up in the morning and, I have God's peace. What I found is I gained the Lord's peace by doing what he's asked me to do. Not because I'm trying to earn any salvation, but because I'm thankful for what he's already done. And when I help my neighbor, when I call people I haven't talked to in a long time, when I help people with money, uh, it does create a peace within me that I'm representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not afraid to speak his name. Even the people on the street, they're looking for money. Mm-hmm. My son and I have a bad habit of stopping and giving them $10 or 20 And I take it. I know you do, Tom. Yeah. And we appreciate that. But what it comes down to is this. We're not doing it to get credit out of it. We're doing it because we're thankful. We don't expect anything back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the freest way to give. Yeah, mm-hmm. Great stuff, you guys. I think that helps listen to quite a bit on a lot of those uh, pieces because it is a tricky topic, this topic of prayer. So let's take a short break here. We've got uh, one more segment left here on Guy Talk, and we've got time at least, I think, Rebecca, for another question or two. So if you do have a question for the power panel here this afternoon, you can definitely text or call at 877-933-2484. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute.
Welcome back to the show. We got a pretty exciting roundtable of guy talk happening here today, fellas. You guys are crushing it today, you know, while the cat is away. Uh, well, well done on a lot of these tough questions. You better we, tell them why you're here, Peter. I, in, well, I am here the because helm. because the actual host, Bill Arnold, is on vacation mm-hmm. all the way through Labor Day weekend, so I'll be in the chair again you tomorrow. Know, but it's you think Bill's listening right now? Well, you know, given the is text it? that I got last night, yeah, I think he is listening. So <laughs> he's going to check up on us. <laughs> I, I think, think he well, might be. And yeah. so the pastor's going on vacation. And right. he tells that to the congregation, and a lady comes up after church. Well, you know, Pastor, the devil doesn't take a vacation. And that's why he's the devil. And that's right. That's why the, the, <laughs> so, the, so you're the saying we're all interceding is, for our brother Bill right now. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, he's a spirit <laughs> being. I'm a physical being. I need my rest. Well, funny you oh. should bring it up. Speaking of the devil, right? I mean, yes. yeah. There, we did have a question come in. Oh, that was bad. We did have a question come in, <laughs> though, from great. a listener wow. during the break here. And the question was this. Does Satan need to get permission from God? To attack us. And I'm assuming the listener is referencing the, the book of Job in which mm-hmm. Satan sort of waltzes into the heavenly courts. It appears, mm-hmm. at least in reading the story, and he and God have this uh, dialogue, mm-hmm. this interchange. And God basically says, okay, take give a whack. Ha- ha- yeah, I give you permission to, to mm-hmm. go after Job. So what do you guys think? Well, and that also reminds me of Jesus' words to Pilate. Pilate, you could do nothing to me unless it was given you from above. Right. Mm-hmm. So Satan, Pilate, Judas can't do anything unless God gives them permission to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, this this is such an interesting, intriguing scene from Job 1, right? And it's just this this idea of, you know, Satan even approaching God and asking, having this dialogue and this question, right? I mean, that's just, you know, and, but, I, but I think we what we can't do is necessarily say that's the prescription of what happens every single time, mm-hmm. you know, that good. is, is yeah, Satan good. coming up to, you know, God and saying, okay, can I go tempt Justin with this right now? And he's saying, okay, okay, nope, not now, but wait now. You know, I don't think it's happening individually for every single person. Right. Satan has set up a system, the prince of the power of the air, so that he has demons, he has strategies, all these different things. But yet at the same time, while that individual dialogue I don't think happens for every single believer or non-believer, um, all of it is still underneath God's sovereign control and power. And, and the ultimate end is still, uh, he still, in, still has the final say. Yep. So, I, think, I think C.S. Lewis said it well. He said, the mistake we make in Christianity is that we go to one of two extremes. On the one extreme, we give the devil way too much power and that he's just in charge of everything and making life hard. On the other hand, we ignore Satan as though he doesn't exist and give him an open doorway that we let him walk through. I think the balance is understanding, and and I've worked with a lot of people who have been what we would call uh, terrorized by the demonic or gotten into the occult or whatever else. And one of the things that they learned is when you use the name of Jesus properly, his shed blood, the demons do obey still today. The other thing is the fact that these demons, um, I kind of think of them like the Wizard of Oz. And what I mean by that is, you know, the great scene in the Wizard of Oz where the, the monkey and opens or the dog opens up the curtain and the guy's behind there, you know, and so it's, it's a big act. Demons are a lot that way. They look a lot bigger than they are. Now, that's not to dismiss them. That's mm-hmm. not to be foolish with them. But we have power in the name of Jesus that I don't think most of us have ever learned to use. Mm-hmm. And we can call on that name and that power. So whether he gets permission or not, the Lord has given us the power over the demonic. He's given us the power over the rulers of this world. We need to speak up. And most Christians, again, are not taught to do that. We need to do that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think sometimes you can become so overly focused on what Satan's doing, what he's allowed to do, not allowed to do. But yet we need to remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we have the strength of God and and his armor that we can stand strong in. And remember when the disciples came back from their mission trip, 
where they cast demons out, they said, Jesus, the demons are subject to us. And he said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get caught up rejoicing in the negative stuff of the demonic. Rejoice Mm. that you're saved for eternity. Right. So with uh, the story of David and Saul, where at some point in time, God does send an evil spirit to Saul, and David obviously is ministering to Saul in the midst of all of that. How do we understand God's authority of the the demonic world? Is, the, is there sometimes an allowance? Is it sometimes that the demonic world is operating independent of God? How do we understand these that things? That verse, if you read the verse, it says something like this. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord came mm-hmm. upon him. Mm-hmm. So God sent this evil spirit upon Saul, but that was in his in God's judgment on Saul's rebellion. Yeah, but I'm also reminded of of Apostle Paul and you know Second Corinthians eleven twelve that you know a messenger of Satan to yeah. torment me so but, that I would not become too elated. Yep. So I think that this then speaks to the fact that whatever is happening in the demonic realm, the Lord has authority and control to for our good for yes for our good and to accomplish His will and His yep. purposes. Yep. I'm going to share a rule I learned about studying the Word of God. Now, we've got 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. So the Old Testament kind of outweighs the New. I find many Christians spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, and I read the Old Testament a lot. Don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to create theology of the Old Testament, you're skipping the interpreter of it. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures, thinking that in them you have eternal life, when it's they that speak about me. Mm -hmm. So my attitude is this. When I read about Satan in the Old Testament or about Job or I read about Noah or whatever else, I need to go to the New Testament and see, did Jesus address that in any way? What principles has he laid out through the apostles, like in the the letters of Paul and Peter and others, Mm -hmm. that help us understand Mm -hmm. how to deal with these things? And the clearest word in the New Testament is that believers now have authority even over the demons. And so that's the realm that I work from. If I stay strictly with the Old Testament, then I can get frightened about what happened to Saul, because what if I do something wrong? The Mm -hmm. Lord sends an evil spirit Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Now, the Word of God says, if you're in Christ, you have the power to say no, and the power is there. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm wrestling with uh, maybe anxiety, depression, turmoil in my life, how do I know if it's sort of uh, just based on circumstances around me and some things that I can deal with on my own? And, and at what point do I wonder, is there something more going on in my life than this? I know, again, or, some of my students are going to wonder about these things. Or mm-hmm. is, I mean, this happened to me two days ago. I got super worried about something that had about a 1% chance of being true. Hmm. And so I, I prayed and I forced myself not to call a certain person to see if this thing was true. And I waited like two days and turned out absolutely it wasn't true. But not only the devil, it's our own messed up psychological brain that we have have had. So some, I mean, anxiety is a crazy animal. Mm-hmm. You know it's dumb, but uh, so some of it's not the devil. Some of it's just us. Yeah, and I think it, that is a very, I mean, if you're very careful in a lot of different nuances, but I think really the life of the Christian is, is to decompartmentalize that that you know or it's not just biological it's not just spiritual it's always usually the both and right. because if if something's impacting our mental health that's going to impact our physical health mm-hmm. that's going to impact the way that we are thinking and processing about the world around us and so i think that's why we stay you know dwell have the word of christ dwelling in you richly um, and that, that peace of Christ that surrounds you, but you have to do that in the context of community. And so I think that's where it takes the, the wisdom that comes from discerning, um, the discernment that comes from being in the word, but then also bring that into community and having conversations about it. And so right. I think mm-hmm. if you're, if you're dwelling in isolation yeah. and you're trying to figure this out by yourself, yeah. That's not the Holy Spirit. You got to talk to somebody about it. The Holy Spirit's never going to isolate. He's going to want to. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us into community. That's why He's given us the church. Right. We have our brothers and sisters, so we don't go nuts in our own neuroses. And you talk it out with somebody. Mm. You know, Peter, if you came to me 
as a counselor, and you said, you know, I'm got this anxiety that's going on and on, driving my family crazy. What did you know? I'd ask you a couple of things. You know, how long has it been going on? You know, what have you done with it? Are you seeing a medical doctor? Are you taking any medication? You know, what medications are you taking? Because I had to learn to get up on the medications. So my one church had a medical facility in it for a long time. But the other thing I would do is I would finally say to you, if this goes on, then I would say, Peter, what are the voices in your head saying to you? Because I want to get to the realm to find out, because not all voices in the head are just, you know, a result of chemical interaction in the body. There's some real demonic reality out there, and people begin to hear these voices. And I cannot tell you the number of friends I've known that I didn't get to talk to that committed suicide. And I talked to their spouse afterward, and they'll say, you know, they told me how down they were in that. And and then they told me they were hearing voices that were saying, you're worthless. Why don't Mm -hmm. you just get rid of yourself? That's the time you better be talking to somebody because those voices are there 24-7 and they don't go away. But with either the right medication, but I think a lot with prayer and knowing how to speak back to these voices in the name of Jesus is critical, and we don't do enough of that. Well, gentlemen, we are out of time for today uh, as the show has flown by. I appreciate the wisdom and the insight, as always, that you guys offer, the friendship that we that we share. Listeners, thanks for the questions coming in. Great questions. I know relevant for so many people listening. And uh, take care of the first hour of the show, Rebecca Maxwell. I know that we we'll want our listeners to stick around. Hour two is coming up here just after the top of the hour where we're going to have uh, Pastor Dave Johnson in studio with us. Dave has had a long journey in pastoral ministry, and I know one of the things that he cares about most deeply is what it means to be able to stay in something for the the long haul, uh, not just life for the long haul, but ministry. What does it mean when you when you face times where you really do hit the wall? We're going to talk a lot about that. And, and how do you find a new way of life moving forward so that you can finish this race well, as Paul would talk about. And gentlemen, you're all finishing the race uh, here well in these years ahead, I assume, right, Justin? You're only 12 years old, so you got well, a little ways I'm to more, go. Am but... I more on the front end of it? I'm not sure. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.